All right, good morning once again. Hello. It is now the fifth Sunday of Lent. There's only one more. The sixth Sunday is next Sunday, and that's Palm Sunday, which begins Holy Week. So we are coming right down to it. It's just absolutely amazing how fast time has gone. It seems like it was just Ash Wednesday, and now we're on the fifth Sunday of Lent. So we've got two weeks left of Lent, and uh, we have been talking about what Lent means. I actually had someone... Uh, do a Facebook thing, and I'm not really familiar with Lent. What is Lent? I hope I answered her question well. But we've been talking about it. It's the 40-ness, right? It is the spiritual reenactment of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And the church puts it here. Actually, this Lent period was used for new converts to the faith as the period that they used in preparation for baptism. So there was a 40-day preparation for baptism in the ancient church. And now it's been kind of transmuted into the annual liturgical cycle as the lead-up to Easter and the time for preparation of Easter. Um, traditionally, and at least, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church Lent was a, a, a kind of a dark time. I mean, just remember thinking of it as a dark time. It was a, a time of deprivation when you gave up things. It was a time of penitence. You gave up things because of your sins and to purify yourself for the new life of Easter. And so it was always looked at that way. It was always a time, oh gosh, i got to give up candy bars again. I mean, what am I going to do as a kid, right? But there was always that thing that you had to give up. We are trying to reimagine and redefine Lent for our purposes here and understand that it's not so much about giving something up. It's about adding something in that will help clear the decks of the distractions. So taking it and kind of turning it around and say, this is a positive, affirmative action that we can take that will help us to clear the space that we need to be able then to move into the kind of introspection, the kind of contemplative process that is going to help us to be able to be much more aware of this new life that Easter represents, to be able to see life and the world more as the Father sees it, to look through his eyes. And in order to do that, though, we've got to clear out all the stuff that is the filter that we've developed that allows us only to see the world as we see it, as we understand it, as it makes sense to us. But to take the time, again, in the wilderness, in that desert, to purge, to let go, to open up that space, allows us to see something we've never seen before because we don't have any filter anymore, at least for moments at a time. So we're looking at the subtraction of Lent as a positive that can take us into this rebirth, take us into this new life, this eternal life, as we understood Aramaically, as life that is eternally new and alive right now, not life that goes on eternally sometime in the future. It's right here, it's right now. It's always right here and right now with Jews. That's the beauty of it all. So instead of giving things up, we're going to be introducing these new elements. And what did Jesus have in the wilderness with him when he was going through his 40-ness, when he was going through his time of preparation? Well, he didn't have anything material, obviously, but the desert gave him certain gifts, didn't it? The desert, the wilderness, actually, it never says it's the desert, but I like to picture the desert. It's the wilderness, the desert. The desert gave him silence. 
The desert, desert gave him solitude. The desert gave him simplicity. And the desert gave him stillness. I like to call those the four S's. Silence, solitude, simplicity, and stillness. Because these are the essential elements of any authentic spiritual journey. Always. Think about it. It's always about silence and solitude and stillness and simplicity. If we really are going to get where we're trying to go in terms of our spiritual formation, in terms of our spiritual journey, these four S's are the essential pieces. This is what we need. And however Jesus went into the desert, whatever he carried in with him in terms of his own life, his own ideas about life, because he was fully human as we are, had to go through everything that we go through. See, we kind of skip over that part a lot. And we just say, oh, Jesus is God. No, he had to go through everything that we go through. The scriptures explicitly tell us that. Whatever he brought into the desert, what he came out with was those four S's. The desert gave him those four S's in terms of the physical environment itself. Jesus stayed there between the horns of the paradox, right, that we've been talking about. He stayed there in that tension point. The scriptures say to the point of exhaustion, to the, to the, the, the point of starvation. He stayed there to that point until all of those elements came inside they became a part of who he was. He merged with the wilderness. He merged with the silence and the solitude and the simplicity and the stillness. And when he came out, he brought those with him. The way a scuba diver brings air. The way an astronaut brings the pressure suit. His environment was now internal and went wherever he went. And he was now prepared to be able to enter into his public ministry. He was prepared to be able to show people who the Father was because he exuded it from the inside out. What are the most, if you think about it, endangered species in modern life, in our modern urban city life, if you think about what's the most endangered species? I would say <laughs> it's silence and solitude and simplicity and stillness. Everything about our lives goes exactly the opposite. Have you th think about that? Silence out there, Orange County, Southern California, anywhere else. Solitude, simplicity. Oh, give me a break. Walk down the grocery aisles. How simple is that? And stillness. Everything about our life is exactly 180 degrees opposite of these four essential elements. The paradox that we're living in as human beings is that what our life produces, what any physical life produces, but especially human life, and human life lived in community, because we all live in community, human life produces noise. I, I always remember um, one of uh, Thomas Merton's journal entries where he, he's, he's just welcoming the dawn and everything is waking up and it's the birds and it's this and then he's hearing all these sounds and then he hears the crows <laughs> and he says you know the waking of crows is most like the waking of men <laughs> just raucous and noisy we produce noise it's a beautiful noise but it's still noise it's not silence 
We produce noise. We produce community. Community is a beautiful thing. Community is the, you know, what is the purpose of human life? Well, it's to connect, right? If it, what could it be if it wasn't for that? To connect, to love. We produce community. But it's not solitude. We produce the opposite of simplicity, which is complexity, diversity. Also, not a bad thing. And, of course, we produce movement, constant movement, Life is movement. Life is defined by movement. These things that our lives produce are not bad. They're essential. They are the essence of our lives. To have the noise, right? To have the community, to have the movement, to have the complexity and diversity and the newness of life. But on the other hand, our spirits are yearning for something else. At the same time that we are living these lives out there, we are yearning for the exact opposite of what our physical lives bring us. As much as a plant yearns for water. I remember when I, when I was in college, never give me a plant. I just want to say, not a live plant, if you want it to, you know, last. Someone gave me a spider plant, you know, those little spider plants, and it was in one of these uh, little pots that was hanging from a macrame thing. Macrame was really big in the 70s, if you recall. So it was hanging from this macrame thing in my dorm room, and, of course, I would never water it or pay attention to whether it was getting any sunlight, and then it'd be all drooping and, you know, just kind of hanging there like boiled spinach or something, and then I'd remember, and so I'd, I'd water it, and I was amazed how you water it, and then it would perk right back up again, get all springy. So then I started doing it on purpose, because I just wanted to see it perk back up again. I wouldn't water it for a few days, and then I'd give it some water. Plant abuse. But see, that's the exact way that we are. You know, we're living this life with all that noise and all that community. At the same time, we're not getting the water. And after a while, we're just kind of drooping. We need to infuse that just like you infuse the plant with water, to be able to infuse our spirits with the silence and the solitude and the simplicity and the stillness. We need that because then we are actually honoring the paradox of our human lives. It's not an either or, it's both and. We have to have both. We are never going to feel that there is meaning and purpose in our lives. We're never going to really understand who we are. We're never going to understand who we are in the midst of all that noise and distraction. It's only when we get quiet, when we get still, that the first glimpses of our own identity starts to take place. Now, you may be asking, because I know I did, why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't it be more straightforward? <laughs> why couldn't everything just line up, you know? Because all of this stuff, this paradox, creates tension. And all we want to do is relieve the tension, right? And the way we relieve tension is by choosing one side or the other, flopping down. But then we miss the deeper truth when we do that. And the deeper truth is that the silence and the solitude and the simplicity and the stillness give meaning to the noise and the community and the complexity and the movement of life. After a while, just the movement itself, the noise itself, which gives us a sense of meaning and purpose, will start to fade we're not going to see it anymore. Those inward qualities that we're talking about are what bring meaning and purpose to the outward activities of daily life. And we need to embrace both at the same time. Now, why is there so little of the four S's in our lives here in urban modernity, if you want to call it that? You know, the simple answer is we're afraid of them. We're afraid of silence. We're afraid of stillness and simplicity. 
It strips bare everything that we have built up around ourselves that we call our lives. It strips bare everything that we think we are, our identities for ourselves, the roles we play, the accomplishments we've made, the attributes that we have as a person, all of that gets stripped bare. What's left when we really go into silence and we go into stillness and we go into solitude? Simplicity. There's no place to hide. That is terrifying. It's terrifying to be so vulnerable, undefended, defenseless. It's terrifying not to have all our stuff around us. It's terrifying to lay our weapons down. And you may ask, what weapons? Well, the weapons is, are the noise, the crowds, the gadgets, the technology around us, all the stuff that we accumulate around us. Just look at your house. And you walk in your house and you feel comfortable, hopefully, because you've got all your stuff. It's all your stuff. Your stuff that you piled up makes you feel comfortable. Strip that away. Start to move into simplicity. How is that going to make you feel? All of our, of our tech gadgets, all of the, the, the phones, everything that have become such a part of our lives, an indispensable part of our lives. To let those go, those are our weapons, is what is terrifying to us because they have given us the illusion of meaning and purpose and identity when there really is nothing there. The focus that we have as people on our roles, on our accomplishments, on the accumulation of knowledge or possessions with all the places to go and the places to be that we have to be at. We get confused between importance and urgency. I don't know if you've heard this one before, because important things aren't necessarily urgent, and urgent things aren't necessarily important. And we think just because something is urgent that it's important. We've got to be here. We've got to go there. This movement is important. But is it really? And if it's not infused with stillness inside then it's just a distraction. Who are we when we get really quiet? Who are we when we're absolutely alone? And solitude isn't just aloneness, but aloneness with God. Who are we then when we are alone with God? And no one is there to validate our roles or to validate us in any other way. Who are we when we are unarmed, when we're techless, who are we when we're still, when there's no place else to be? We don't know anymore as a people, generally speaking. And we rush to fill in the voids. You know, ever been in a conversation and someone just leaves a space? Uncomfortable, isn't it? Somebody, please, tell a joke. Somebody do something. I remember our pastor, you know, Remember, Pastor, it's like if there was a, a, a lull in the, the conversation or a lull in the room, he would be the first one to jump in and tell a joke. Lighten the load, you know, lighten the mood. It was, it was funny, it was great, but it's like sometimes silence just needs to speak. Sometimes you just need to honor the silence. Sometimes it is the breath that someone needs before they can actually speak and say what they wanted to speak, and now that moment is gone. We rush to fill in the voids. We fear that we're going to disappear in the silence, in the solitude, and that's why there is so little of it in our lives right now. We say, stay busy and distracted every moment. Never let silence and stillness catch up to us. That's too scary to do. To us, the worst condition, the worst torment, it's boredom, isn't it? I mean, just like little kids, I'm bored. But really, as soon as you feel that, 
We want to fill it with something. We instinctively, compulsively need to add an activity because suddenly, ooh, boredom. We look at boredom as a negative, but it isn't really. There's an article here that I wanted to read part of to you. Really interesting. And it's about handling boredom. And it's, it's dealing with parenthood and parenting techniques, but I think it applies to us as adults just as well. Mom, Dad, I'm bored. Have you ever heard that one before? <laughs> yes. Makes you feel put on the spot, right? You might even feel like you're a bad parent, right? Most of us pressured are pressured to solve this problem right away. We usually respond to our kids' boredom by providing technological entertainment, structured activities. But that's actually counterproductive. Children need to encounter and engage with the raw stuff that life is made of. The raw stuff that life is made of. What's that? Unstructured time. That's really what life is until we put a grid over the top of it, right? Life is unstructured time. Why is unstructured time so important for your child's healthy development? One of our biggest challenges as adults and even as teenagers is learning to manage our time well. So it's essential for children to have the experience of deciding for themselves how to use periods of unstructured time or they'll never learn to manage it. Maybe even more important, unstructured time gives children the opportunity to explore their inner and outer worlds which is the beginning of creativity. This is how they learn to engage with themselves and the world to imagine, invent, and create. Unstructured time also challenges children to explore their own passions. If we keep them busy with lessons and structured activity, or they fill their time with screen entertainment, they never learn to respond to the stirrings of their own hearts, which might lead them to build a fort in the backyard, make a monster from clay, write a short story or a song or organize the neighborhood kids into making a movie or simply study the bugs on the sidewalk as Einstein reportedly did for hours. Isn't that interesting? Einstein as a child just watching bugs for hours. These calls from our heart are what lead us to those passions that make life meaningful. And they are available to us beginning in childhood. But only when children are given free reign to explore and pursue where their interests lead them. Preempt the time spent on television and organized activities and have them spend it instead on claiming their imaginations. For in the end, that is all we have. If a thing cannot be imagined first, a cake, a relationship, a cure for AIDS, it cannot be. I cannot plant imagination into my children. I can, however, provide an environment where their creativity is not just another mess to clean up, but welcome evidence of grappling successfully with boredom. It is possible for boredom to deliver us to our best selves, the ones that long for risk and illumination and unspeakable beauty. If we sit still long enough, we may hear the call behind the boredom. With practice, we may have the imagination to rise up from the emptiness and actually answer. See, boredom is our response to silence and solitude and stillness and simplicity. And we see it as a negative because we fear those things. But if we could sit in that place longer, we would realize something so much deeper. Boredom is only viewed negatively because of the fear that we have. 
We don't need to fear it. To simply sit and rest with a blank canvas, that's something. To sit and rest with a blank page, nothing on it, no urgency, nothing, until something wells up from the silence, from the stillness, that gives us the impetus to put something on that canvas, something on that page. But to give it the rest, you know, Music is like that. The note comes from silence and it ends in silence. And it's the silence that defines the note. In music, you have to play the rests every bit as carefully as you play the notes. Otherwise, you have no music. Why do we think that life would be any different? We need to play the rests as well. It's not either or, it's both and. But for a people that have fallen so far over to one side, of the noise and the movement, then we need to spend a lot of time in silence and solitude and stillness to be able to get the pendulum just somewhere near the center, which is where we want it to be. But this is the process. Unstructure time so that you can restructure it with deeper purpose. Deeper purpose. Plants pulled up at the roots may look good for a while, like those flowers over there, but eventually they're not going to make it. We're like plants pulled up at the roots if all we are doing is spending time in community and noise and movement and all of this structured time. Our roots need to go back into the soil, the nutrients of silence and stillness if we are going to make it over time. Look how Jesus puts it. Take a look at Luke 19. And this is actually going to be our topic for next week, but you're going to get a little pre-taste right now. Luke 19 at verse 37, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. This is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, of course, right? The beginning of Holy Week. And the people were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I love that. Do you remember Jesus Christ Superstar when they sang that? You know, it was so great. Hosanna, Hosanna. Said, Why waste your breath moaning at the crowd? Nothing can be done to stop the shouting. If every tongue were still, the noise would still continue. The rocks and stones themselves would start to sing. Wow, what a lyric. I can't believe I remembered it <laughs> 40 years later. But it's, it was so ingrained in me. I must have wore that record out back when it came out. But that loved that. I loved that image. Now, at first blush, doesn't it seem like Jesus is blowing my metaphor here? <laughs> He's talking about even the stones are going to cry out. The stones are going to make noise if we don't. And I'm talking about trying to bring silence and solitude and stillness into our lives. But think about it a little bit deeper. What Jesus is talking about is if we fall silent, the stones are going to cry out. What Jesus is saying is that all creation testifies to the truth. It can't be silenced. You know, there are even physicists right now that say that the whole universe is creating a chord and they actually have recordings of this chord that the, the, the vibrations of the universe itself if we could hear it is making music I love that as well 
The stones are going to cry out. The stones are always crying out. They're vibrating. All of God's creation is testifying to the truth. But we just don't see it because we're not tuned in. We're not silent enough. Jesus is saying whether we can hear it or not, whether we participated in it or not, it's going to continue with or without us. It's just what it does. It's what the creation does. But how do stones cry out? Obviously, they're not going to cry out in words, and they're not going to cry out in audible sounds either. That's not the way the stones testify. The crying out is the participation in truth. And we must be very quiet ourselves, very still ourselves, if we want to hear the stones sing. We're not going to do it at 60 miles an hour, blowing past in our air-conditioned cars with the windows rolled up and the radio on. It's not going to happen. But if we get silent, everything starts to change. You know, just these last few weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have had the most spectacular weather here in Southern California. This desert winter that we're experiencing, every morning to get up and look at the sky is like an adventure. If it's raining, if it's not raining, these towering cumulus clouds that we've had that kind of hide and play hide-and-seek with the sun. It's been just amazing to me. I love the sky, and the sky has been putting on a show lately. Last few days, pretty blank, but okay. Sun's still nice, right? But it's been amazing. I've had to pull over at times just because I realize I'm looking up and I need to watch. I just pull over just so I can look. A couple of times when I had time, I just stopped and parked someplace. I like to park right over here at this equestrian center because I can watch horses' butts and the sky at the same time, and it's so cool. And if you breathe deep, you get to smell the manure. I love the smell of manure in the morning. It's just... It's great. It's earthy. It's real. But, I, you know, the, the sky has been singing to me in these last couple of weeks. It's been so amazing. You know, I don't always see the sky. I can go whole days without taking my eyes off the computer screen, and that's to my detriment. But somehow, these last couple of weeks, the sky's been calling me, and so I've been taking time to go out on the balcony or go someplace and just look at the sky and let the sun hit my face. I've been participating in the song that creation has been singing, and it's helped me to know that. Paul calls this listening, this deeper listening, this ability to hear the unceasing cry of creation. He calls it unceasing prayer. And if we take a look at what he says at Thessalonians 5, it's just a really short phrase, but it carries such a punch and means so much. He says at 1 Thess 5, um, 16 and 18, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this is a very different kind of prayer if we're going to do it unceasingly. It's not going to be made of words. It's not going to be made of noise because that's not something that we can do unceasingly. This kind of prayer that Paul is talking about is going to be made of awareness. It's going to be made of presence. We can do that unceasingly. We can be unceasingly aware during our waking moments. We can be unceasingly present during our waking moments. It's not easy, but we can at least approach it. We can be aware of the sky, and we can let it draw us in. 
even as we are aware of our work and letting us, letting that draw us in as well to get, start to get the balance here. Awareness and presence is everything. Praying unceasingly is unceasing awareness of the presence of God in the moment, the presence of each other in the moment, and our relationship to everything as we go forward. How do we get more awareness? How do we get more presence in our lives? With silence and solitude and simplicity and stillness. It's the only way that we can grow our awareness and grow our presence is by growing that from within so that even as we are engaged in our noisy lives around us, we bring that environment with us. It's the only way that this works. There's nowhere left to hide when we do that. And when there is nowhere left to hide in our silence and in our solitude, then we can become aware and present to what is really there and not to everything that we think we already know. That thereness that we can develop that begins as nothingness, apparently to us, that begins as the absence of everything that we hold dear, that's the purging process becomes the most solid thing in our universe as we go forward. That silence speaks louder and more purposefully than any of the activity and the crazy things that we do in life. That thereness begins as nothing, begins as absence, becomes solid, and gives reality and gives meaning to even the tiniest details of daily life. We literally can start to hear the stones sing. And the beauty is, all you have to do is one thing. You don't have to worry about all the details we're talking about. One thing, just show up to silence. Show up to solitude. Let go of everything else that is not needed in that moment. And things begin to happen without you even knowing about it. You just show up purposefully, intentionally, to the silence and the solitude, to the simplicity as you start to let things go. Stuff begins to happen. What kind of things? Well, Paul presents them right here. Now, interestingly, he presents them as directives, three directives. But if you really think about it, it's more of a byproduct. What he says here that we must do is really a byproduct of simply showing up to the unceasing prayer understood as silence and solitude and stillness and simplicity. If you take time to practice these four S's, if you create the external environment for yourself as you can in your life, as Jesus did in his wilderness, and let them seep into your mind and your heart and your soul until you carry them around with you wherever you go, becoming fundamentally changed you become transformed. You become aware and present. You start to see life as the Father actually sees it. That starts to bring the trust that brings the freedom of the truth that you know that you know because you're seeing with the Father's eyes. Now, what does that look like in human form? What will that look like in our lives if we actually start to do that? What does Paul say? He says, rejoice always. We're going to be happy always, not every single moment, but we are going to be happier and happier in all of our moments, whether they are difficult or not. 
And we're going to cross that magic 51% threshold where more often than not, we are in that place. We are now characterized by kingdom characteristics and qualities. That's it. As we practice this, more and more we are rejoicing always, even in those difficult times. And it's not that we're faking it. It's not that we're putting on airs, right? We're actually seeing the reason that we could and should be rejoicing, the reason that we could be happy even in a difficult circumstance. Everywhere we go. Rejoice always. Pray always. But not the prayer that we normally think about that is cognitive. It's not in words. It's not in thoughts. It's just this pure engagement, this pure participation. It's letting things just sink in. Singing with the rocks. Being part of it. Looking at the sky. That's the praying always. And we're already doing it as we are engaging in the four S's. And be grateful always. It's a state of being. Gratitude is a state of being that we engage when we are present, when we are aware, when we are hearing the rocks sing. When you're sitting there under that canopy and letting yourself just merge with it, when you're in one of those places, how can you not be grateful? To be constantly rejoicing, to be constantly praying, to be constantly grateful is the byproduct of engaging in this life, balancing the noise with the silence, balancing the community with the solitude, the complexity with the simplicity, and the movement with the stillness. When we get into that balance, this is what it looks like in our lives. We all say we want this. Paul states it as something we must do but we don't even do it directly. We show up here for silence and solitude, and we get that. Don't even have to put effort into it. It will be who we are, not something we try to do. Now, we can't go into the desert, right? Unless you go to Palm Springs, and there's just a lot more noise there. We can't go into the wilderness. We can't take extended time off from our jobs and our parenting and everything else we do. How in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to find these four S's in our lives? Well, you can retreat in place, can't you? We can do things. Can you just turn off the car radio when you're driving? Can you turn off the TV in your home that gives you the constant background noise in many homes? Can you take your earbuds out and just let things go silent? Can you take a walk or a, a ride, a bike ride, any kind of ride, but do it alone? Spend some time alone rather than always in groups. Can you get up early before everyone else does and just find a quiet chair with a view or even just a blank wall? It doesn't really matter. But can you spend some time alone? Can you spend some time in silence? Can you let go of the things that you don't need? Oh, my gosh. Look around our houses. How much of that stuff have you touched in a year or more? Can you give the Amazon delivery guy a break? <laughs> is there so much more stuff. Do we really need that stuff? Or what are we doing by buying all that stuff? Or is it just a little dopamine hit that we get for a second? You know? But can we give him a break? Can we limit the choices that we have and the choices we make in food or clothing and just come down to something that is more manageable, more simple? Can you put down your cell phone? 
Can you stop playing cell phone games? Can you stop scrolling social media? Can you just be still for whole moments at a time? Now, I'm not talking about always. We got to order from Amazon. You got to use your cell phone, and there's nothing wrong with playing a game and, and following social media. If there's no balance, there's a problem. Can we intentionally let go of some of these things four times at a time that allows us just to be and to make the balance that we're talking about? Just enough to balance to be able to hear the rocks again, to see the sky again, to find awareness and presence building in our lives. The noise and the community and the complexity and the movement of life becomes then infused with the silence and the solitude and the simplicity and the stillness. And then it becomes infused with a sense of meaning and purpose. And the color comes back into things that even we were burned out over. If we can bring this in and from the inside, we can see that there's new life that appears because God's presence is now palpable. God's presence is now part of what it is that we're doing. Now, Lent can be this launching pad, this place that we can try to launch this and, and get this way forward. And as I said at the beginning, it's almost over. We've only got two weeks left, but it's never too late. There's another good news bit for you. It's never too late. You can show up at God's front door any time that you want to. You can do it right now. You want to show up at God's front door? Wouldn't that be cool? Just go up to God's front door, knock. Hey, just thought I'd stop by. Don't even need an appointment. But here's the thing. <laughs> God's address is always at the corner of silence and solitude and simplicity and stillness. And if you aren't there, you're going to miss him. That's what Lent is all about for us, that we will not miss our God at the hour of our visitation because we have learned to be a people that vibrate at his frequency. That's where Jesus is trying to take us. Let's pray. Father, you know how hard this is for us, and you know how every single detail of our society, our culture around us is working against us in this. So we know that you forgive us for not doing well at this particular piece. But help us to become more aware. Help us to become more intentional about adding these elements into our lives as much as we possibly can to begin to balance ourselves so that there is this sense of you throughout our moments. And that's what we want, Lord. We want the sense of your presence that infuses us with the meaning and purpose that makes life the difficult times bearable, but so many more moments that can be seen as joyful and experienced with the gratitude that they really deserve. So, Father, thank you for being exactly who you are and speaking to us the way that you do. Help us to learn your language so that we can speak to you with no loss in translation. And thank you for your love and your constancy. Never let us forget, we can only love because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Would you all stand? <laughs>